2: Okay, we're running a little late this morning, um, but uh, apologies for that uh, to our listeners. They probably won't be too upset. <laughs> the uh, song uh, that we were listening
3: uh, to before we came on was Need, Need You to Understand by Bricky B.
2: Radio and uh, that was Meg Kimber, t- Meg, Meg Kimber talking there, Meg and Kimber, on Kevin Healy. And, in fact, we've had a lovely morning um, proving our public transport system stuffed. <coughs> well, well uh, I
3: had a great run-in today. I got public transport and it, it worked wonderfully. Well, damn it, do you But well, I left I, at about 5.30 a.m. Oh, no, from, from where? <laughs> from Brunswick. Oh.
2: Um, <coughs> and you got here by nine. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I... Um, I caught the, the train that gets me here just in time if I have to get public transport. And today because it's a lovely day. I normally only get public transport on nasty weather days. But mm-hmm. I'm visiting a friend in a nursing home afterwards and being picked up here. So I thought I'd, I'd uh, come on PT. But once we got – uh, and normally it gets caught between Macaulay and North Melbourne, that train waiting That's for true. one of the other lines. So yep. it didn't. It got, got to North – and I thought, this is oh, wonderful. Yes. <laughs> but outside North Melbourne, it just stopped.
3: In between North Melbourne and Flagstaff?
2: No, outside North Melbourne before before. you got to it. Oh, okay, yeah. They just said this train is now arriving at North Melbourne and this train now was not arriving at North Melbourne. (laughs) 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 And we waited there for ages and then through the loop it just crawled. So I ended up at Parliament later than normal and i always enjoy the, the stroll up Albert Street by the churches and the gardens. yeah. But then the tra- it wasn't a tram for nine minutes, so I did do the walk, but I had to do it very quickly.
3: You were power walking.
2: Oh, was I what? Well, by oh. my, you know, power walking, at, 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 what you call my standard <laughs> so-called power walking. Uh, yeah.
3: I feel the feel your pain, Kevin. I know what it's like. I've Many times I've been rushing to try to get here, either riding my bike or running from yes. a tram. Train station. Well,
2: on the bike, I've got it down to a fine art, but uh, it, uh, it's the, t- the public transport you can't rely on. That's your problem. It's not. <laughs> it's
3: not timely. You do have to factor in a, yes, a delay.
2: That's right. And yeah. it is housing day to day. Yeah. And we're going to be talking to Howard Morosi again from Friends of Public Housing, Coach, giving us an update on what's going on. And. Yep. Um, Fiona York, I think, is coming in. It's either Fiona or, or Sean. One of them is coming in from Housing with the Aged Action Group to talk to us all about issues to do with housing and planning, et cetera. Great. Um, so we'll get on to that. And um, I thought just a couple of items worth mentioning. There was an item in the paper. Well, have you got any items you wanted to? No. Often
3: I do, business. and you never ask that, and I have to try to interrupt um, get a word in edgeways right. um, but then this time you've asked me and, and I don't, I mean obviously oh. the obviously there's Dear a school s- <laughs> <laughs> now I think about it, there is obviously the school Strike for Climate Indeed. on the 20th Indeed. which I'm sure any listeners to 3CR are well aware of but yep. um, yeah, a big event.
2: Yeah, I'm going to come to that and sort of you know, more direct right. I suppose. But yep. we'll come, But certainly, and it's on. It's two o'clock in Treasury Gardens this Friday. And uh, yeah, well, you know, it's not just the school, you know, the school children, but or school students. But um, everyone's it's, allowed. Um, we're all well. We hope everyone's involved. Unions have become involved, and everyone else. So yeah, it's critically important. Um, there's a bloke called um, Hutchison, um, Craig Hutchison, who's on one of the. Very boring shows on Channel 9 on football. Oh, yeah. But he runs um, a a media mob that run a couple of the radio stations that, uh, you know, we never listen to, in fact, but uh, that have lots of footy and stuff on them. And he's, um, you know, just a businessman. Now, he, according to, um, and this is reliable because it's in the Herald Sun and it was on the front page down one column and inside, a sports ticketing business run by football power broker Craig Hutchison is being investigated for gouging on AFL finals tickets. And um, they were selling tickets at incredibly above above the standard price. Um, Is
3: that what gouging means?
2: Yeah, that they're... Um, they like they some, buy
3: them and sell them on later. Yeah, well, work. they
2: probably... I don't know how they get them, but it's interesting how these people get all these things too. But mm-hmm. uh, they um, they were selling them... You're not allowed to sell them at more than 10% above face value when he was, they were doing much, much more than that. Um, and... Mm-hmm. Um, they you were know, we're selling level two seats to the Geelong West Coast final at MCG for 170. The top price public ticket is 93. The 170 ticket offered by Ballpark promised fans access to premium beverage and food outlets, which I think <laughs> means access to the places that sell them. Um, <laughs> I just assume that. But I raised this because Hutchison, in fact, his radio station. Um, was was done a couple of years ago um, in in those days. you get of people ripping off workers for hiring lots of uh, young workers um, and paying them absolutely nothing. Um, like you know, having the, them on the, in,
3: internships? The, yeah, internships, internships. Yeah, yeah, internships and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, internships. And, you know, just uh, – so he's mm. just, you know, just a – just a businessman who uh, rips, yeah. pe- rips off, apparently. But uh, oh, we'll, we'll find out about that. Just but trying uh, to do certainly he ripped off the workers anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. And, and on um, matters of, of, of industrial stuff, um, we talk here about the gig economy and how workers are exploited and they 're all treated as contractors etc and they whenever there 's an attempt to try and make them full time employees, the employers carry on like mad and say what wonderful things they 're doing, and the young people like the way they mm-hmm. work, etc. Uh, interesting news from California. Um, yeah, California legislators have approved a landmark bill that requires companies such as Uber and Lyft to treat contract workers as employees, a move that could reshape the gig economy and that adds fuel to a years long debate over whether the nature of work has become too insecure. Um, well, <laughs> I, I think, think we know the yeah, answer yeah, I think We cracked that one. <laughs> uh, they, they, it passed, uh, 2911 in the thing. And, um, uh, un- under the measure that would take effect on January 1, workers must be designated as employees instead of contractors if a company exerts control over how they perform their tasks or if their work is part of a company's regular business. Um, it'll affect at least a million workers, etc. So that's a breakthrough there, mm. and hopefully it will flow on. Yeah. yeah,
3: and not only in terms of fair pay, but also fair conditions and mm-hmm. uh, accountability for the conditions that, that employees work within.
2: Yeah, Yeah. the whole box and dice, so to speak. Um, Now, last week, we had, um, again, lots of stuff in the paper and on the news services of America yet again commemorating 9-11, as they call it, the 11th of September. Um, 9-11 in their terms. And not one word about the 9-11 I always like to raise when this happens every year, which, of course, was 9-11-1973. When the U.S. overthrew the elected government of Chile, and um, introduced General Pinochet, General Pinochet, and the terror and Andrew deaths, the, <laughs> the, the terror and deaths and uh, torture that followed that, mm. many more people than not that I'm going to say that those who died um, deserve no. to die in America, but no. um, I think the, the fact that America was behind it, and it was two years before uh, America also organised the removal of an Australian Prime Minister, if you think about it. Um, mm,
3: mm, what? So, uh, it, how did America...
2: Well, they were heavily involved oh, in overthrowing n- Whitlam, oh. um, because he he was making noises about Pine Gap and uh, things. So. Ooh,
1: um, interesting. There was
2: the, the, well, uh, those who don't know, a bloke called Marshall Green, who was an American um american um, um ambassador uh here he um he he everywhere he went there was a coup oh and the enemies of america were overthrown and replaced
3: just um, a coincidence i'm um, sure yes indonesia
2: yeah. uh, various places in africa and he came to australia and uh while he was here and uh, here whitnam was overthrown and then he moved on again oh. and, uh, <laughs> um but they they play wow. games
3: Wow. Well, speaking of um, 9-11, I saw something in The Guardian recently um, that talked about how that, uh, um, that incident affected um, a lot of the movements that were happening at the time about um, pushing back against capitalism, that um, it shifted the sort of cultural narrative and what people were speaking about in America. Because um, you remember the book No Logo by Naomi mm-hmm. Klein? Yeah. That was like... Uh, building a lot of momentum and people pushing back against this idea of sort of being sold to and, you know, being consumers and stuff like that. And the article drew a parallel... Well, I think Naomi Klein herself said um, that that was one of the things that pulled a lot of attention off off the criticism of government and moved the conversation into a different area, of kind of like more, you know, m- more about fear and 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 you know, sticking together and things like that and not criticising your government. So, yeah. yeah.
2: Mm. Yes, that's right. Well, it's I mean, fear has been whipped up, of course, by Benjamin Netanyahu over in um, Israel. Israel in this election. Yeah. And uh, um, a comment um, even written by uh, a bloke called Joseph Fiederman, um an article about, said that uh, nearly every day he issues unfounded warnings about the country's Arab minority stealing the election, drawing accusations of incitement and racism, um, etc. And um, interestingly enough, it seems like it might have backfired, because the Uh early reports this morning are that um, his own people have come out in lower numbers, and Arabs have come out in much larger numbers. Uh Um, So So when was the election? The it was overnight, and it's... um, I think it, I'm not sure that these were um, these were just poll you know poll things they do. Uh, what, what do they call them those? Oh, what do they and, call them? Exit polls. Exit polls. Poles. Yeah. Um, and um, so they may not be deadly accurate, mm. but it did seem that was happening. So what he what he tried to do may be backfiring against him, which is interesting.
3: Well, that yeah. will be interesting yeah. to see because he was definitely the the front runner in terms of who who was likely to win.
2: Yeah, Initially, well, well, yeah. no, it's sort of him and the other Benny Gantz. There's nothing between them actually. They're both oh, really? terrible. Uh, yeah, it's going to be touch yeah, yeah. and go. But it looks like yep. the other black might, who knows, um, do it. But it's yeah, not it's, much of a difference in no, outcomes. Though. No, no, yeah. no. Well, with the the other these opponents are former head of the army and um, you know crushed Palestinians himself. So. Um, and there you are, yeah. um, on the um climate thing on Friday. I think you know mm, we're just mm. saying how important it is um we 're getting you know warnings all the time, and one of the well, yet another one of the insurance companies came out this week and said that it, um, you know, it's a serious one, they're going to have to lift, and houses might be able to be
3: insured, rude,
2: et cetera. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, And, of course, um, the, the coal lobby is still arguing that uh, if we cut it out too quickly, it's going to stuff up the whole system, it won't be able to handle it, the distribution system's going to go amuck, et cetera. Um, so they're really doing all they can, um, yet there was... Another report, despite you know, over and above the fires we've seen in the last couple of weeks in the Amazon, um, the Brazilian Amazon lost one hundred one thousand six hundred ninety eight square kilometres of its vegetation cover in August. An area 222% higher than the deforestation recorded in the same month in 2018, National Institute for Space Research data shows. Although the total deforestation was slightly less than in the previous month, the destruction of the vegetation cover continued to grow compared to last year. In July, the area of destroyed forest had reached 2,254.8 square, etc., an increase of 278% on last year. So, um,
4: you
2: know, the, the, the need is urgent. And it's um, <clears throat> interesting that um, Host Plus, which is a, um, a hospitality super fund, uh, they came out and said, well, they support the whole thing about climate change. But their, 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 their boss, Sam Cecilia, um, says that um, that its super fund shouldn't divest from coal. And this is an enormous argument um, he he argues that dumping shares in fossil fuel companies is a waste of time because those shares will be bought by other investors, with <laughs> the associated emissions <laughs> therefore continuing unabated. Now, mm. that's the same argument the industry uses about saying that we should, you know, we should not stop ex- we shouldn't stop exporting our coal and gas because other people will, mm. and therefore, um,
1: mm. I don't
2: think it's a particularly interesting argument. It's a Bit
3: problematic.
2: Uh, a, a little problematic, isn't it? Uh, now that you mention it. Yeah. Um, and you'll be pleased. To no, the Financial Review is holding, and with Deloitte and other <laughs> big things, a National Energy Summit, Transition, Security, Affordability, and the Speaker lineup includes the Federal Minister, the sta- Victorian Minister, and the rest are all big... You know, big names at all the energy companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's no one, one person there representing the normal community, uh-huh. uh, if, if we could be called normal. <laughs> and, uh, There's not a single normal no, person got, it's like just, going. Uh, <laughs> it's just all these energy companies and CEOs, et cetera. So uh, that'll be a, that'll be that'll that'll certainly come up with something. Uh-huh. They'll, spend, they'll have th- about eight-page ripped out telling us what the answer to the problem is coming from the big end of town. Can't it's wait. Been,
3: yeah. I've got my ticket.
2: Yeah, well, that's um, – yeah, I'm <coughs> sure you have, and um, <laughs> I appreciate i probably paid for it, of course. Yeah. It's 9, 10 October at the Sopper Hotel Sydney. So, well, you'll be oh, at, in Sydney on that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, now – You'll also be pleased to know, and I heard as I was heading out the door this morning, Dave Sweeney on the Brecky Show talked nice. about nuclear stuff. Yep, one of our um, favorites, one of our regulars yeah. here. For those who don't know, he's the anti-nuclear person with the Australian Conservation Foundation
3: and a Nobel Peace, Peace Prize a, winner. We, yes, why don't right, we? Great. Why don't we lead with <laughs> that's that? That's right.
2: And he's a Nobel Peace yeah. Prize winner. That's right. Um, the, the Minerals Council of Australia's Tania Constable, and they, they, uh, she says. Nuclear power could be the cheapest way to generate electricity in the next decade, oh. uh, and she says, um, apart from existing run of water, hydro, nuclear is the only energy source capable of providing, etc. And she says it's a uh, it's a safe um, thing these days. It's it's totally safe and etc. Uh, etc. Et <laughs> um, which is all very interesting um, because if it is totally safe, uh, this other item uh, I find interesting. Therefore, and we maybe run it past Tania. Japan's newly installed environment minister Shinjiro Koizumi wants the country to close down nuclear reactors to avoid a repeat of the Fukushima catastrophe in 2011. Mm -hmm. I would like to study how we will scrap them, not how to retain them, he said, after being appointed by the prime minister, etc. Japan has six reactors operating at present, a fraction of the 54 sites before Fukushima. About 40% of the pre-Fukushima fleet is being decommissioned. Of course, decommissioning means that You've still got thousands of years of contamination, et cetera, to deal with, but, yeah uh,
3: but they're not being uh, used anymore
2: no that's but, interesting uh, yeah, so yeah. um that runs counter to what Tania thinks I think, so I think yeah. they wow. they're suggesting maybe it isn't that safe
3: hmm. yeah. curious.
2: Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And it was Yui that warned on the climate change premium risk. I just mentioned that. Oh,
3: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. About insuring people. we well, better take a break. Look, we'll come back yeah. and we'll get, we'll get Howard on the line and have a yarn and then we'll have someone coming in from Housing with the Age Action Group.
0: Red Alert. Numbers are needed at the Japwarung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The Campaign to Protect Country is led by Japurung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty.
1: Bali. <laughs> odi keena bali gudi nyangallu ni nyanga mora bali adangana padakuru nyambanyamba rara ngola Niyangga mora, palawam ojo kuri kena. Larpama Abala Bali Udi Kena Larpama Nundia Walija Bernango Manini.
2: Okay, and on the line we got Howard Morosi from Friends of Public Housing uh, talk to talk to us about. Uh, the latest on what's going on in that area, and we've got Shane McGrath from Housing with Ags. Actually, in the studio. How are you?
4: Good. Thanks for having us. Good,
2: good, good. And, Howard, um, updating, you've got doubtless things to talk about?
5: Yes, we've got a lot. Uh, we've got rallies. Uh, there's been a flood of media coverage about housing. Um, nothing specifically about public housing, I don't think, but uh, lots about social housing and about private housing. Um, so I can start with the rallies, if you like. Yep. So, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia uh, has a rally uh, today from 5.30 till 6.30 at State Parliament. Um, and we've also got a 24 hour vigil at State Parliament um, on Grand Final Eve. So that's Thursday the 26th from 11.30pm, 24 hours till 11.30pm, Friday the 27th of September. Mm-hmm. and uh we've got the nearby grand final parade at eleven a m on the Friday, so you can do both and uh have a big impact because there's going to be a massive crowd to watch you at the rally mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> right
5: um so that's the rallies that I know of um, we've had a lot of articles in the uh, on the ABC uh but they've all been about social housing, unfortunately. Mm. Uh,
2: there was an interview this morning with the, Mayor of, with the Lord Mayor of Melbourne. Um, the, today, the Lord Mayors around the country are meeting with the Federal Ministers and uh, to discuss the problems of homelessness, but I'm not sure they'll get very far.
5: Yeah, that was interesting because there was a conference uh, recently, the National Housing Conference, uh, which was supported on by Peter Mayers. Um, people might be familiar with Peter Mayers. He's had number of articles published in the age uh, I think he's written a book as well uh, as far as I know uh, he just talked advocates for social housing um, although there's a bit of disagreement about this, some people think he's, he's a bit of an ally um, but uh, Scott Morrison and the two uh, federal housing ministers it's, it's that series he's got two now he's got he's got a housing minister and an assistant housing minister they spoke at the conference and um, you know, obviously talked about how wonderful their policies are and declared there was no crisis, there's no housing crisis and homelessness is not really a major problem because it's only 0.5% of the population.
2: Yeah, the Minister said it was pretty good, didn't he? And
4: yep. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's good news. That's we can all go <laughs> that's home. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. Were you at that, uh, did that's you go right. to that, chain? Um, Fiona from Hagwan, I didn't go. Yep.
5: Any report about that?
4: Um I, I'm not really sure I haven't had a chance to talk to her since she got back. Um, did you go
5: uh no but i've I've read Peter Mayer's yeah. article about it and uh, <clears throat> so he you know he talks about um, the fact that no one's talking about uh, the major issues of yeah uh, you know, but but he, he does describe the um uh, the uh, situation uh, but doesn't really doesn't really talk about public housing except to to mention the the transfer of housing stock from state to community housing but then doesn't really go into why that. The ABC, as I said, they've been doing a lot of reporting. Uh, They did actually a very long article about um, the uh, parrot man, what's his name, Uh, the bird man. Oh,
4: the guy from New South Wales.
5: Yeah, Mr. Gavronsky, Peter Gavronsky, who's uh, taken off the housing commission there.
2: Yeah, that was a background briefing program. Yeah,
5: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was on background briefing. And uh, so he's successfully, um, I think it's mainly... Maintenance problems that the uh, state government hasn't been looking, looking after over there, um, which, as as we keep saying, that's the case everywhere. State governments have been neglecting their uh, their maintenance in public housing, and it appears to have coincided with the uh, 2008 agreement coag agreement to uh, transfer. Um, mm. uh, well, basically three quarters of new housing to the community housing sector to the point where they control about a third of social housing within mm-hmm. Australia. Uh, and um, some of our activists have actually reported uh, the situation in um, in maintenance in Victoria as being, well, the fact is it's, it's contracted out and um, the state government, Uh, basically doesn't inspect the work and it's substandard work and uh, it's left up to the public housing tenants to complain and try and get some action about it rather than the state government uh, responding uh, proactively to problems there. So that's another example where privatisation has failed and uh, it's another reason, of course, why public housing tenants don't trust the uh, housing associations to manage... Um, to manage uh, or own the public housing
2: under these contracts in which these these private groups take over public housing are they are they responsible for the maintenance once they 've taken it over, or is there some sort of feedback to the to the state being responsible
5: uh, I, i'm not sure about that uh, that 's no. a good
2: question it 's a bit like that problem with the public transport system you know where each each the state and the private companies pass everything on to each other yeah.
5: I mean, so I'm not sure. I'll, I'll try and find out for you, um, but the current situation is is a change from when the state government had its own maintenance. Yeah, you know, It's the situation we should be going back to. The, the tenants, long-term tenants uh, like Eileen Hartman and Fiona Ross um, report that you know the situation used to be good when it was done mm-hmm. by the government before it was contracted out. Um, so that's what we should be going back to.
4: Mm-hmm. You going to say, shit? Oh, I mean, I guess I was just going to say, you know, the, the social housing organisations are, are acting as landlords, so they have legal duties to to keep the properties in good repair just like any other landlord. So they're the ones who are directly legally responsible to the tenants. But I mean, the whole the whole structure that we're talking about, whether it's, you know, public housing outsourcing their, their maintenance or whether it's outsourcing the housing itself to the private organisations, these are all, all systems for, for avoiding accountability for the government. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Uh, a friend of mine, Worked. She just recently retired in in one of the social housing groups in St Kilda, and I know they actually employed tradespeople, whether they, they might have been the exception or not, but they did employ tradespeople mm-hmm. to maintain the places, yeah.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, all right. Keep Update going. on the estates? Yep, that's yeah, important, yeah, what's yep. happening there.
5: So North Melbourne's empty and demolition's imminent there. Um, there's still a few residents at Walker Street in Northcote. Um And it's also been reported that at the stokes Panola site in Preston, the title's actually going to go over to Housing First from the government. Um, But apparently even where the housing associations are only managing and the government still has a title, uh, the housing associations can still use that uh, management to borrow money. I'm not sure if that's right, but that's what I've been told. Mm. Um, And someone also thinks that the government's keeping title for the... Purpose of not affecting the state budget. Um, at Ascot Vale, uh, the government's seeking a planning permit. Um, so Dunlop Street, I think, is completely empty. That's Dunlop Street is probably I don't know, maybe a couple of blocks out of the thirty or so blocks at Ascot Vale. Um, so that's where they're going to start the the building. Um, but they've got plans for the whole estate, of course, with massive, uh, massive high rises. Um, at West Heidelberg and Bank Street in Paran, um, there's no development happening, um, but they're setting up a consultative committee at Paran. Um, and, uh, yeah, just an interesting side note. Um, Preston, uh, the old Preston estate was, was the old Hutton estate, uh, which was built for workers of near, the nearby Button Factory. Whereas North Melbourne, the North Melbourne Estate was built for workers in the nearby abattoir, which is an interesting mm-hmm. uh, way that our economy used to work. That the government actually used to um, used to actually build stuff and, and own stuff and do it for the purpose of the workers uh, to benefit the workers, instead of you know leaving everything up to the private sector.
2: Yeah, um, there, there's any, there was a story came out in the last couple of weeks. Um, From Sydney and a mob called SGCH, which is obviously a community housing group, um, and they're um, building their first development in um, in Redfern, 160-unit development. Um, But again, this is uh, this is classic because, of course, we know the government's taken over in Redfern. There was a great fight to maintain the indigenous community there, but uh, Mm. unfortunately, they've they've mostly lost that and. uh, and we're seeing um, effectively a private company move in to develop uh, what was Indigenous land and in more yeah. ways than one. And we're not just originally Indigenous land, but it was land the Indigenous people lived in.
5: Yeah. Um, well, was, there has been a fight over that to retain it, uh, I think, within government hands, just as there has been for the Syrian mm. building. Yeah. Um, the New South Wales government is actually uh, transferring 2,000 homes to a yes. community provider. Um, and uh, the interesting thing about that is, uh, I mean, the, the government's actually made an announcement on its its website, and uh, of course, says the usual things like the community housing sector is better provided, blah blah blah. Um, uh, but uh, they also say that the um, uh, they'll be entitled to commun- Commonwealth rent assistance. Now, I'm not sure how that works because I thought that was only available through uh, properties where the community, uh, where the housing association actually uh, owns it, um, if they're still mm-hmm. effectively public tenants, uh, Commonwealth rent assistance is not available. So I'm, I'm going to look into that.
2: Well, it does say that the the housing provider will tap 90 million in debt lending from the federal government's Clean Energy Finance Corporation, etc. Really so it does like. does sound like they're going to actually own the you know the the, the the Community Housing Group will actually own the um, the block of...
5: Oh, you're talking oh, about Redfern? Yeah. Oh, this is, this is a different one. This is uh, 4,000 properties in uh, another
2: area. Oh, right, OK, yeah. yeah. Well, they, I mean, it's, it's also in Sydney, because we you know that the the wonderful public housing above the rocks at Millers Point was saved by the green bans, the, the union green bans in the 70s, uh, but that's now all been flogged off. Yeah. Uh, and the argument is, and it's you know, it's a perfect spot for public housing. It's right above the quay, It's uh, so close to um, to Sydney itself, and uh, their argument is that it allows them to spend more on public housing, and they call it social housing now. Of course, uh, elsewhere, which probably means the extremes of Sydney suburbia, uh, yeah, which somewhere. they don't
5: anyway. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and and the point is, you see, you're saying that uh, poor people can't live close well, to that- the, the city. Mm, yeah. you know, I mean that's that's the problem with the uh, private sector That it tends to do that It has it creates ghettos you Now we keep being told that we mustn't create ghettos Well that's what the private sector does Turek mm. is a ghetto, I'm sorry Brighton's a ghetto <laughs> No poor people there mate
2: yeah, that's right. Now, well, Turak, were you pleased to hear, by the way, that the prices in Turak have gone up there at the moment, even though there's been a slump in the housing market. Turak's maintained it's, it's actually improving, and oh, there's a you, desire Your portfolio's going yes. well. That's right. Yes, Good to one of the, es- the real estate agent made the point that people all want to live in Turak, and I thought that's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so, well,
5: I've got news for you, Kevin. The uh, slump's over. <laughs> yeah, actually, the, the prices went up. Uh, in Melbourne and Sydney by about two and a quarter percent in one, I think it's one month or one quarter. Yeah, yeah. So at that rate, we're back up to the 10% a
2: year. Which brings us to a question for both of you, I guess. I mean, we've raised this a few times, but the very people who say, yes, they're desperate to provide affordable housing are the ones who complain when the cost, when the prices of housing do have to slump and, and cheer when they go up again. Um, is there a contradiction in there somewhere, do you feel?
5: Well, it's actually worse than that, Kevin. You've got the Reserve Bank of Australia, um, who's supposedly, you know, the one of the government authorities that is trying to look after people, saying that uh, the fall in public housing is going to hurt the economy because it means uh, less spending. I mean, the point is that's a pretty tenuous argument because if you got if you're spending less on buying a house, you've got more money left over for spending on other things. Mm. So. You know, they've got a bit of explaining to do. Oh, you we could have own.
3: affordable rent into plenty of money to exactly. spend on other things. Exactly.
5: Yeah. So it kind of looks like, you know, the, I don't know if, you've, if people have noticed, but the Reserve Bank has actually been coming out, uh, and uh, they've actually done a backflip on their policy. Their, their policy has actually been for probably twenty or thirty years to maintain unemployment. Right? Reserve Bank policy has been to maintain unemployment above 5.5%. Yes, 5%. As yeah. soon as it gets down to 5... We're talking about full-time. Uh, we're talking about the official rate. But as soon as it gets down to 5.5, they've been increasing interest rates. Well, not, Because Australian interest rates have been higher than uh, worldwide interest rates for a long time. And the purpose of that is actually to stop wage rises. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. So we lose on three counts we've been losing for the last thirty years on three counts we've had high high unemployment we've had uh, we've had high interest rates relatively and we've had low wage rises
2: yeah well they now describe five percent as low, as you know as normal that's uh, if you've got five percent then you've really got no unemployment as far as they are concerned if you're one of the million or whatever who are actually unemployed, it probably mm. affects you a little bit yeah. um, but but back in the back in the Fraser days when lynch was the um was the treasurer, he warned that if if unemployment ever got as high as five percent no government could survive um mm. and f- and that was back in the um or seventies of the eighties seventies uh, and eighties well, late seventies um now five percent seen as the norm if you've got five percent, my god you're going well
5: it was actually worse under keating under in the back in the nineties it was uh that was kept up at about eight percent, right? Now that yeah. that's only—we're that only talking about full-time workers. So you've got to add on another fifty percent for the underemployed, mm. right? And then you've got a situation where uh, the um, Roy Morgan, the, uh, the survey company, has come out and said that real unemployment is actually twice as high as the official unemployment. I don't know if anyone's seen that.
3: No, I haven't seen it.
5: Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, the media has not been publicising that, but it's the way it, it's been calculated. Mm. Um, so, Roy Morgan claims it. Uh, in reality, it's twice as high as mm. what
2: it is. But you, well, I think it's taken for granted at all times that if you know if the official figure is is a is a percentage of the real figure, because so many people just just give up and don't even try.
5: Yeah, yeah, that that kind of thing.
2: <laughs> and, and there's various times of the year when students are coming out and looking for work, et cetera, when it increases as well. Mm. So you get, you get all that. Yeah,
3: let's hear yeah. what's happening at housing for the aged before we run out of time, shall we?
2: Yeah, we'll move on. But Howard, any just anything before we um, we move on? Is there any anything else before we move on?
5: Oh, there's lots of stuff. But uh, I was going to give an update on uh, the situation at um, Walker Street in terms of the rights of people to return.
2: Mm-hmm. But- Very quickly.
5: Yeah. I'll- yeah. Well, okay. Well, it's it's kind of like finessing, but um, but just with be- me a sec- while I get my. Um, So uh, 75% of those going back for social housing at Walker Street, and we know that's going to be um, community housing uh, managed, will be from the public housing waiting list, with first first preference going to the returning tenants, and then from the public housing priority list. Um, So that's a good thing. Mm. Um, The remaining 25% will be taken from the non-public housing category, a public housing tenants will pay 25% of income, um, other tenants 30% and uh, the housing first management will be a 12-month trial um, and they claim that uh, tenants will be able to revert back to um, public management after that but that's I'm, I'm a bit dubious about that.
4: Yeah. Um, Do you, sorry, can I ask a question? Do you know if the like, is the how are the social housing tenants going to be covered by public housing policies, except for their rent, or, or are there going to that's, be different policies that's for different like residents? That's no, yeah, something
2: we need to find yeah. out. Well, Groton Place is a similar arrangement, I think, isn't it? Because I was in our local rag last week, I think. I um, missed that. Like yeah, the, that. there was something. I'm sure it was the local rag that had it, but they, a mm-hmm. similar arrangement where the residents, the current residents, get first choice first choice. Can you, of can you send it. that
5: to me, Kevin? Because I,
2: if, I,
4: if I can find it yeah, okay. it,
5: yeah.
3: When you say policies, what does that mean?
4: Well, I mean it'd be interesting. You know, I'm trying to think of a good example, but public housing has all kinds of policies about how they assess your income for rent, mm-hmm. how they, you know, evaluate antisocial conduct or what they call antisocial conduct you know, what sort of conduct they would or wouldn't evict someone for, in what circumstances they'd use a no-reason notice to vacate. Mm. And there's quite quite well-developed and, and, to an extent, reasonably public policies that are quite transparent and accountable about those things. Mm-hmm. Whereas for a lot of social housing providers, I'm not sure about the specific one that we're talking about here, it, it seems like there's much... I mean, the, the policies, if they exist, are much less available and it often seems like it's more ad hoc and at the discretion of, mm-hmm. you know, the individuals who work there, which can can really reduce the kind of accountability... Um, that, that tenants can, can kind of impose on the, the housing provider or the landlord. Mm, right.
5: I think you're right, actually. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's. I think uh, we had a presentation from uh, uh, Louisa Bacino uh,
0: mm-hmm.
5: at one point, and I'm pretty sure she's saying that where it's managed by the housing associations, that's the situation. You
2: better explain who she is to people who don't
5: know. Uh, she works with, I think, in a, in a Melbourne legal centre. Right, okay, yeah. A solicitor, uh, an expert in the, in the area. So effectively, you know, even though the main uh, question of of, uh, rent is still based on 25% of income, uh, they can actually add charges for various things uh, on top of that 25%, is my understanding. So the the tenant ends up paying more than 25% of their income. Mm. Uh, You know, it might be a gardening charge or something like that, Mm. which they don't pay in public housing. And the other thing is that because they don't have the protection against eviction that they have in public housing, Mm. the um, housing association can effectively get rid of them. And the person they then put in may not be from the public housing sector and they can uh, possibly, I'm not sure, but possibly then uh, run it as as a community housing tenancy. I'm not sure about that.
4: Yeah.
3: What's the protection against eviction at the moment in public housing?
4: I mean, the the, effect, the protection really is the policy and tradition, and also the the kind of social pressure that that
3: mm. so
4: public housing remains largely housing for life. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are circumstances where you can be evicted from public housing, and there are probably I don't know the numbers, but there are surely massive numbers of people being evicted for rent arrears in particular. Mm. Um, but compared to you know, but you 're not being evicted for no reason from from public housing mm-hmm. the uh, I mean I guess some of the stock transfers might have might have changed the way that functions in reality, mm. but in large part, if you pay your rent in public housing and if you 're not breaching your duties you 're going to be secure in your tenancy mm-hmm. um, that 's yeah. not always the case for social housing providers mm. um, you know, there 's been some pretty shocking examples there was one uh, I think it was a rooming house that was run by a social housing organisation and one of the workers put his bag down in the common room. When he came back, it wasn't there, so they evicted all the residents for no reason Whoa. because they couldn't work out who'd uh, taken it. You know, something like that wouldn't happen in public housing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
3: and anyone who does any work in that sector of, of you know, community... Um, Organisations knows that they're all under constant pressure to be financially viable in yeah. conditions where they're yeah. underfunded, grossly underfunded, and underutilised. I mean, that's def-
4: that's definitely true. Social housing yeah. are way quicker to kick you out for rent arrears than public housing is. Like the state government obviously has much more capacity to kind of share that risk around to mm-hmm. to mitigate the the losses across their the, the amount of housing they have. Whereas social housing providers will, will like quite publicly say. Oh, the, the tribunal needs to let us evict these people faster, we're losing money, yeah. um, which you know you, you might think isn't what you'd want from a social housing organisation. Yeah. No, well, we're socially
2: concerned, obviously, yes. Um, Howard, we'd
4: better let you go. Can um, I just ask a question of Shane
5: while we've gone on yep, yep. Shane, is that, do you have that situation arising where the housing association is managing a public housing tenancy, what you just described?
4: Um, I mean, the only example I know where a social housing organisation was managing public tenancies that were following public housing uh, policies and guidelines. Mm. Right. Um, so I don't have examples of that. Okay, thanks for that. That's okay. Right. Hey, well, thanks for your time again. Great. We'll talk Thank to you next you. month. Yeah, okay. okay. Thanks yeah.
2: a lot. Howard Marosey there from Friends of Public Housing. And um, Shane McGrath's here How from from Housing with the Aged Action Group, say it properly, Kevin. Um, <laughs> and um, Shane, you had a couple of things you wanted to talk about.
4: Yeah, so mostly what I want to talk about is an issue that's come up in the rollout of the state government's rental reforms. So uh, we've talked about this a fair bit on the show. HAG was very happy uh, in a broad sense with the uh, rental law changes that, that were passed last year. Um, obviously, they're not perfect and there's a long way to go, but a, a really strong set of new protections for tenants that we were really happy with overall, and um, most of those don't come into effect until July 2020. There's a long lead time. Uh, and in some areas, that's, that's quite understandable. You know, things like introducing minimum standards for rental properties, uh, I'm willing to accept that landlords need some time to, to get the properties up to standard. Um, so most of the things don't come into July until July 2020, but a small handful of the changes were introduced early and they came into effect in March or, or other times earlier this year. Um, so one of the main changes that was a big deal for us is about uh, park closures. So caravan and residential parks, I think we've talked about this on your show as well. Um, It's been a problem over the last few years that uh, these parks where people move in uh, thinking that they'll have a a significant level of security that they've, you know, they think in many cases they've bought a place they can live for the rest of their lives. Um, You know, if people don't know what a residential park is, it's sort of like a caravan park in that you own your dwelling, and rent the land that it sits on, but the dwellings are much more substantial. There's, there's no way that you're going to hook your residential mm. dwelling up to a, a you know, truck and tow no, it away. Most of them aren't on wheels. They're absolutely not on wheels. They're plumbed mm. into the ground. Mm. The, um, mm. If you want to move it, it's going to cost you thousands of dollars and you're going to have to get a truck, and it won't do you any good because there's no way that you can take it to and put it <laughs> down. Mm-hmm. So the problem when a park closes is that your dwelling goes from a value of tens of thousands of dollars to a value of zero like it it literally has no value and will be bulldozed into the ground because there's nothing else that you can do with it Mm -hmm. um we had one client who was trying trying to find a place that she could move one to and then we found the nearest vacant site for a a part four a dwelling a a movable dwelling and it was in queensland Uh, and you might be surprised to know that that our our tenant couldn't afford to buy a truck to oh, drive her, believe her it. house all the way to Queensland. Mm. Obviously so,
2: obviously, wasted their money
4: all their lives. And, um, so, yes. And I mean, the kinds of people who move into residential parks, I mean, they, they range a lot in sort of like a price level, I guess. But often it's people who've got pretty modest life savings and they've wanted to move into somewhere they could be secure for the rest of their lives, couldn't afford a retirement village. So mm. they've sunk their life savings into these dwellings that they thought were secure for life. And what we've seen over the last few years is that in plenty of areas the land values have risen enough mm. that it's not that it's more economical for the owner to sell the land mm. than it is to keep running. Now, the park. One, is,
2: one assumes the owner is paid the money that you pay for this cabin or whatever it is. This yeah, residence. I mean often um, there's,
4: there's some sort of structure where they're, they're nominally different organisations, but really they are yes. the same.
2: So, so in fact, the responsibility at that point
4: lies should lie with the person. You bought it off, so who's closing the, the land. I mean, so the and that's what the state government recognised. So in the in the rental reforms, there were new provisions. They, um, as you as people might know, they got rid of no reason notices to vacate, which is what people have normally got when parks close. They introduced a new category of notice to vacate for park closure. Mm. So if your park's closing, you can give people in a residential park a year's notice that they're going to have to leave. I think mm. it's a year's notice. Don't quote me on that. Mm. Um, and when you do that, when you give them the okay. park closure notice. Shane you... said it's years, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That, that was legal <laughs> advice. You can take that to the bank. <laughs> the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when they give you the notice to vacate because the park's closing, they also have to apply to VCAT for an order about how much to compensate you. Uh, and that should uh, be equivalent to the lost value of your dwelling or the cost of moving it. So we uh, think that is a fantastic reform uh, that really protects people better. It means that they won't be so disadvantaged if the park closes. And it also means the park's less likely to close, right? Because they're going to have to pay out pay thousands and thousands yeah. of dollars. Yeah. So yeah. that's something they have to weigh up rather than just taking this windfall yeah. and letting their residents take the loss. Mm. We were also really happy that those two provisions, the park closure notice and the compensation rules, were two of the things that came in early in March this year. Because often when we're talking to residents about this, they were very worried, well, what if they close the park before July 2020? Mm-hmm. We're going to be out of luck. So they brought in these things early. We think that was a great decision for the state government. The problem is they didn't get rid of the no-reason notices yet. So the no-reason notices for the parks are still in effect. You can still use those until July 2020. Mm. So what's that? what that means is... A park has closed since the compensation provisions that it should affect have come in, but the owner's just given them the no-reason notice. So those residents suffer exactly the same problems that w- that were in place before these laws came in. So, so the no-reason notice overrides the other laws? Well it, it doesn't really override it, it's but you only, have to, uh, you only have to pay compensation if you give them the park closure <laughs> notice. Oh, if you give them another God. kind of ah, notice... So if you just So, them, once, them off, they so after July 2020, they can no longer yeah. give the no reason notice and, and people will be safe. They'll be protected because if they get the park closure notice, they get compensated. Until July 2020, you can still get the no reason mm. notice. We've seen one park already since those provisions came in that where the park is closing, they're giving people this notice and there's no right to compensation. So we're talking about losses of tens of thousands of dollars. Mm. We're talking about very vulnerable people. Uh, you know, pe- you know. I spoke to someone. Yeah, well, oh let's well, interrupt. It's losses of tens of thousands, but
2: also then the people have to find something else yeah, and have money really to move oh, somewhere they'll,
4: else. They become homeless. Often they have the further problem that they, their dwelling has a paper value that will exclude them mm. from social housing programs and things mm. like that. They'll have too much money, in inverted commas. They'll have too much assets. Mm. So they won't be eligible. But but the real value of the dwelling is zero. Um so in
3: effect there's no point that they there's no point them having brought in the laws already because well, they're irrelevant. It,
4: I mean it, it they've made a mistake that they wanted to do one thing and they failed to do it and there's a simple mm. incredibly simple fix it does seem which to tear you to, in the face <laughs> doesn't it? which is to get rid of the no reason notice now they've already agreed to get rid of the no reason notice mm. they just need to bring it forward so well, even,
2: re- but even bring it forward just for
4: caravan pass, yes yes that's, I mean, that's all we're saying yeah. bring that forward for no re- for the thing that should you've have been an, to it fix it should have
2: been when they passed the other rules anyway
4: um, included and, and so we've written to the Consumer Affairs Minister Marlene K. Ruse about this and mm. she's, re- she's written back Back and said, uh, "We do n- we don't intend to do that. Uh, to do that, we would have to pass legislation, and we don't intend to pass legislation. What? Which was a bit of a circular, like non-answer. We're not going to do the thing you're mm. asking for because then we would have to do the thing that you're asking for, and we're not mm. going to do that. <laughs> that's right. yeah, that's right. um, so sorry, I- I'm aware that the time's running out. We're looking at another park now that looks very likely to close because the owner." Has been uh, convicted of a serious crime and is likely to go to jail for a period of time and has threatened some of the residents that he will close the park. And this is another, this is like the most scandalous situation that you could imagine. And these people are exposed to a massive financial loss and the risk of homelessness because the government has declined to take action to fix their own mistake. Uh, The overall package of rental reforms is so good and it's incredible that they've been happy to take the plaudits for their relatively superficial improvements like pets for renters. The only thing that the media cares about, government's happy to say, oh, look, we're letting the tenants have their fluffy dogs. Isn't it great? But they don't care about the, the most serious issues and the most serious losses that some of the most vulnerable people in the community are facing now. Uh, and that's outrageous, and we will continue to to lobby the government well, it's a to, scandal, to fix and that.
2: Urge people to well, can you urge people, tell people who to contact I think our listeners yeah. should. Well, be, number
4: one, contact know, put, us. Come and talk to the uh, the Re- uh, retirement accommodation action group that HAG runs. You can call the office on nine six five four seven three eight nine and ask to speak to Fiona Waters, who convenes that group. That's okay. the working group of our members who are concerned it's about like, retirement housing issues. That number issues. again, it's nine six five four. 7389. If you missed that number, you can listen to the Hag Show on 3CR (laughs) uh, at... What is it? I don't even know the time slot because it's changed. It's 5.30 on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month. Um, We'll give out that contact information again. Uh, Or if you are in a a caravan or residential park that's either closing or you're concerned that it may close, please give us a call because we desperately need to hear from people in those circumstances.
3: Is there some kind of consumer action, like legal... um, avenue that could be taken under these circumstances since the other well, law we, is in we'd,
4: place? We'd need to, to hear about their specific circumstances yeah. and work out whether they have a claim. So that's definitely something that we're interested yeah. in looking at. We're well, assisting. People should
2: be contacting the government to say, look, yes, this, this needs to be okay. sorted yes. out. Okay. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it's, All right. it's ridiculous. Uh, I'm okay. looking at the clock
4: um, and I think yeah, I yeah. might have to it's stop
2: time. my rant there. Yeah. Damn it. Here we yeah, we are going to have to. But next month we'll have another crack at it. Shane, we'll do it again. Thanks for coming in. Thank uh, you. Uh, so okay. next up is Anarchi-
3: Make, Anarchist World this week. And yep, and next it.
2: week we're going to be talking about a book about com- community radio, actually. Yeah. And, and hopefully we'll do something about the Green Wedges issue at Nillen Book as well. Yeah. Great.
3: See them. Yeah.